Once again, thank you for allowing me to visit you in your homes this morning. As you can tell, we're definitely online again, and uh, we're still praying for that day when we can all get back together. But I do appreciate you uh, letting me come into your home this morning. Well, today we're continuing the series, uh, Faith Over Fear. And Jonathan opened the series with his message of faith in the crisis. Last week we looked at fortitude in the crisis, and today we're looking at peace in the crisis. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. Now as you turn, I want you to think of this. One of the greatest things we can have or experience in life is really peace. Without peace, we have sleepless nights. Uh, We have fear many times mixed in there. We have anxiety all over the place. I mean, you think about it. uh, Our anxiety can cover things from the future, about our children, about what may happen that probably won't happen. I mean, when you think about it, anxiety can carry you to so many different places. and, And those things can be very dangerous when you think about just the outcome of where anxiety can carry you when it's prolonged in a person's life. So when you, when you look at this, many of us, when you think about the anxiety that we're familiar with, just the day-to-day anxiety, and then you come and you add this crisis on to, to it, you have unfamiliar anxiety, all of a sudden you've got a whole heap of anxiety on you. And so this morning, what I want to really emphasize is the fact that even in the midst of the familiar anxiety and the unfamiliar anxiety that we're facing these days, we can still have peace. The definition of true peace is a state of calmness and contentment, even in the midst of difficult and uncertain circumstances. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says also in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he says, in this world you're going to have trouble. There will be crises that come. But take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. And the same promise he talks about there, the fact that we can have peace in the troubles of this world, the crisis, he's basically inviting himself into that crisis with you because he's overcome the world. In a form of introduction, let me kind of jump in here with this as we move forward. In a spiritual context, peace, when you really think about it, is not the absence of problems, but really the presence of Christ. It is the opposite of conflict, ungratefulness, and even this idea of anxiety. So this morning, what I want to do is talk to you about three different things that we can discover when it comes to overcoming our worry and our anxiety. The first thing I want us to look at is discover peace in the presence of your God. And the first thing I think we find here in Philippians chapter 4 is this whole idea just to be grateful. Look at what he says in verse 4 of Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's basically, when you look at what he's trying to to write here and what he's trying to communicate, he's basically saying quit focusing on what you cannot change. He's basically saying also quit focusing on what you worry about, what stresses you out. And be grateful and rejoice in the Lord. Now, remember the times that you've already seen that He's moved in your life through those difficult times in your life in the past. Remember who He is during times like this. Remember what He's capable of. 
Remember that he's worthy to be praised no matter what. In the crisis, out, the, out of the crisis. And then this idea, we see this. Rejoicing and gratitude gives the believer spiritual stability and can replace our response to any crisis with peace. So again, when it comes to this idea of discovering peace in the midst of our crisis, it really comes in the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come in the circumstance or even in the crisis. And so here's something else that we find here in Philippians chapter 4. Paul seems to say this. He, say, he says, be reminded when it comes to this whole idea of anxiety. Look at verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. And then here's the key. The Lord is at hand. I don't know about you, but for me, this crisis, I think, has been a test. A test for me personally. And I told you last week, there were some things about this test that revealed things in me that I did not like. I've heard from some of you on, uh, on the internet and in different places by email, and you've told me that you could relate to the, some of that story that I shared about myself last week. And it's so true that, that many times there's this test that maybe is placed in our lives. And for me, it's this crisis. And, and the key here in verse 5 is saying, the Lord is at hand. Some people, when they read that, they think, well, yeah, he's coming back one day. It's referring to that. No, it means he's literally watching. He's watching. We know he looks at our lives. And so how are you responding with faith? How are you responding? Is there inner peace? And then, of all things, is there joy in the midst of this crisis? Next, we not only see dis uh, a discovery uh, or discovery of peace in the presence of your God, but also discover peace in the place of your worry. Now, now I think many of you probably either are this person or know someone who is. It seems that some people move from one worry to the next. They get over this worry and they see and it really wasn't anything to it. And, and then they just find something else to worry about. Someone has said that worry, and you've heard this, I'm sure, is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. So when you think about it in the context of what we're looking at this morning, the opposite of worry is this idea of peace. Now, let me tell you this about worry. With worry comes much deception. And, and let, me, let me show that to you. Psychologists have found that of all our worries, 52% of what we're worried about never happens. 30% of what we worry about happens in the past, which means there's nothing that we can change about that necessarily. And 10% are about petty issues that really wouldn't matter to most people. Now, that leaves only 8% of our worries that may be considered legit. Now, therefore, when you think about the 8% of worrying that is legit, think about this. That is in the hands of God. Nothing catches him off guard. He is still in control. No matter what you're faced with, no matter what these times may bring to your life, no matter what kind of challenges you may have, which leads us to the fact that during times like this, we are not to be panicked. Now, what we're about to read, I want you to keep in mind, is a command. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Think about that. How difficult is that? In times of uncertainty, 
In times when you think there's no hope, in times when you feel like all of life is outside of your control, I mean, think about that. Don't worry about anything. It's a command. Now, what I'm convinced when it comes to worry, what I'm convinced of is this. Worry reveals the depravity of our faith. When faith is activated, worry ceases. When worry is activated, both faith and peace cease to be a reality in our lives. The very thing that we want the most when we allow worry in seems to escape us. Another way of saying this is this. Every step you take towards worry is a step that you take away from faith and peace. We must remember that God desires us to live by faith. And therefore, He is willing to help us in our times of crisis. He, he not only says He wants us to live by faith, He basically says it's impossible to please Him without that faith. And then He says this, as He's comforting the disciples, He's comforting us during crisis. Because when we read those chapters in, in John about that whole idea of peace, he's, he's telling us that that can be a reality in our lives. That with that faith can come peace. But when we let worry in, it escapes us. So... How do we move from worry to peace? Well, we, be, we are to be prayerful. And the fact is, when we think about being prayerful, here's the idea we need to think about. God is waiting on us, waiting on us to come before Him with our fears, with our worries, when our faith has been tested. He desires that from us. Now, when I look at prayer, at least for me personally, it grounds my faith. And as a result of that, it brings peace. Look at what he says in verse 6 again. Be anxious for nothing, but, here's the contrary. This is where you need to be taking all this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Paul here in verse 6 outlines the very components of prayer. The whole idea of prayer, as it's mentioned here, is the idea of adoration, devotion, and worship. I want you to think about what he's saying here. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about things. Don't let your fear consume you. Let your faith uh, be, reach out to those things that are troubling you. But here he says prayer. And when he's talking about prayer, he's basically saying look to God. Look at what he's capable of, of. Look at who he is. Get your eyes on him. And then he uses another way he, to describe prayer. Supplication. It's the idea of expressing our need, our concern, our desires, our anxieties. And then he comes with thanksgiving. It's the idea of expressing our thanks to God for who he is, what he's capable of doing in the midst of whatever we may be facing. Uncertain days, crisis, financial uh, difficulties, whatever it may be. So when worry comes to our heart, we need to see God as He is, all-powerful, all-knowing, realizing that nothing catches Him off guard and the fact that He is still in control. Now think about this. How many of you believe that He is big enough to handle our crisis? For some of you, you've got a past knowing that He's fully capable. For others of you, you're, you're, you haven't been there yet, but you, you definitely see in Scripture that He's capable. Well, maybe through this time, maybe through this time for you, this is the time for you to see God come through. Now, remember the command, here it is, is not to worry, but pray. And as a result, I think you will find that peace 
will be coming after the prayer. When you see Him for who He truly is, when you lift your heart up to Him in supplication and basically just cry out, if it's even crying out, whatever it may be, asking of Him. And then from that comes the thanksgiving. That's where the peace is. Next, how do you discover peace in the place of your worry? Well, be at peace. Look at verse 7. He says, and the peace of God. It's almost like if you put the things that he's mentioned previous here from verse 4, 5, and 6, he says, and as a result of that, if you put those things in motion, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the peace of God stands guard, and look at where he says, over two areas of your life. And those two areas are where our anxiety are born and our worry is born. When he says the heart, here's what we need to understand about the heart. The heart is capable, is capable of wrong and destructive feelings. It's capable of deception. And then he says the mind. The mind is capable of wrong and destructive thoughts and, and, and even deception in that matter. And so basically what he's saying here is for that peace, that, that peace that surpasses all circumstances, everything that you thought that could be thrown at you is thrown at you, and somehow you have a peace in the midst of it. What he's saying is as a result of that, what he's trying to do is, is get you to understand that through that, your mind and your heart will be affected. And as a result of turning to those things he says to turn to, by turning to prayer and not our anxiety, turning to Him, He's basically saying those are those times where our mind and our heart will align with what He desires for us. So in times of worry, in the midst of crisis, here, here's many times what we need to do. We need to reality, to reality test our perceptions. Now, those of you who worry can have your view of things distorted by what we just discussed your feelings and emotions. The key to overcoming worry and having peace is to let facts shape your feelings rather than letting your feelings distort the facts. Now, when you say facts, what could that mean? Well, facts could mean the Word of God. That's what He promises. These are things that He tells us that we'll come, He'll come through with when it comes to what He desires for us and what He's already promised us. Now, remember, during these times, We've got to remember who God is and what He's capable of doing. And the key to that will be this. Quit believing the lies and replace it with His truth. Quit focusing on the things that cause that anxiety and replace them with the things that bring peace. Which leads us to our next point. To discover peace in the pivot of your focus. Now, for many of us this morning... The thing that we need to understand is many times our mind is not in the right place. Many times when we look at this, it is something going on in our lives. So the determining factor of whether we have peace or whether we worry is what we're focused on. Think about when you drive a car. I don't know about you, but as you drive a car, you're going down with multiple lanes and you're driving, you're going with traffic. And if your eye catches something, maybe on the, on the shoulder or wherever it may be, as you look to that thing, you, 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 you automatically just start turning towards it. It's, it's all what you're focused on. The Bible kind of says something along those lines when he says this. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, that thing that is in his heart 
it will become a part of him. It's those things that are rooted in that man or in that person. It, it could be lies that are rooted there. It can be truth that is rooted there. But think of it from this perspective. For as a person thinks in their heart, so will be their reality. For as a person thinks in his heart, so will be the direction of that person's life. And so we see it really does have a lot to do with our focus. In verse 8, Paul is telling us that our focus needs to be in three areas when it comes to replacing our worry with peace. He says we need to have, first of all, an inward focus. So if you were to look there in, in verse 8, you'll see that he's basically telling us to be real, to be true. So look what he says in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Now, there's two thoughts that can come from when he says for us to be true. When he says true, he's meaning not plastic, but genuine or sincere. It speaks of integrity and also transparency. But not only that, it also speaks of not being superficial. You see, during times of crisis, I don't know about you, but the idea of superficial kind of leaves. <laughs> it's when we really have those heart-to-heart -heart talks. It's when we really come together and understand that, that, that there's something deeper here. That there, other things don't matter. The whole idea of being superficial, none of that matters anymore. We, we're not caught up in the superficial. So this, there's times where he says, be true. There's another idea of looking at this from this angle. When one thinks on things that are not true or wrong, it is not long before one's life reflects the falsehoods they have focused on with their mind. They begin to believe possibly lies about God. They begin to believe lies about themselves. And they don't take God's word of who He is or who they are. And they just start believing falsehoods. And it's that idea that he's saying, get to the root of who you are. Look at the focus of who you truly are and who God is when it comes to these times of conflict in our lives, struggle with anxiety. Be real. Now, again, as I said, things get real when a crisis comes into our lives. They reveal things about us. And for me personally, this has revealed a lot about me. I'm sure it's done the same in your life. Next, this inward focus, he says to be respectful. It's the idea of being noble. Look at what he says in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whether things are true, whatever things are noble. It literally means being honorable, being respectful. Now, I know that many of us as Americans, we don't like the government telling us what to do. But let's face it. They have been telling us what to do for some weeks now. And, and it's really been for our own good when you think about it. But when you really get into this idea of what's happening, we are called in these moments to be respectful, to respect what the governing officials are telling us. Uh, it may be a frustration. It may be an inconvenience. But we're still called to be respectful, to be, to, to be honorable in these things. Next, he says to be righteous. Look at your text here, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, things that are noble, whatever things are just. Just, he's talking here, it suggests that we have fair dealings with others, that we not take advantage of others, or maybe going even the extra mile to serve others. I can't think of a better thing to do during this season of life, this crisis, than to possibly get our eyes off ourselves and, and get in on serving others. 
Then he switches, when you begin to look at this list, to an outward focus. He says, if we're going to discover peace in the pivot of our focus, we got to have the proper outer focus. And the first thing he says there is to, to be pure. Now, look how he says this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are noble, whatever things are true, noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Now, purity means to be stainless. It's that idea when the, the mind, I mean, I want you to think about your mind. When the mind is allowed to drift, it most often drifts to those things that are impure. Now, here's what we need to do during these times. For some of us, we're going to have a little more time on our hands. I think it's a great time, time for families to reconnect. But I also believe that we as individuals need to be careful because for many of us, we may look to unhealthy escapes. We need to make sure that in the, in the focus of, of this crisis that we're not focused on unhealthy escapes to those things that could draw us away and, and take our eyes off the focus that needs to be in place. For some of you, you don't know how to deal with all the things you're dealing with, the uncertainty of each day and all this. So you look to those things. But he says in the, in the face of conflict, in the face of adversity, in the face of being stressed out, to continue to focus our eyes on him and not have these unhealthy escapes. And then he says to be pleasing. This idea of being love, lovely. He says whatever things are lovely. Now, our lives are not to be one that causes conflict, but a life that brings peace. I think if uh, my family were to be honest with you during these initial days of this crisis, as I said last week, they would say I was very difficult to live with. Maybe even some of the staff here at the church. There, there were troubling times. I was struggling with some of these things. And, but, but you know something? I wouldn't consider myself being lovely or, or pleasing at the time. How about you? Some of you are with your families more than you've been in a long time. Um, how's it affecting you? I mean, what's going on in the home? Great opportunity to reconnect and not draw further apart, but to draw closer together. And that begins by being pleasing to one another. And then he says, be positive. It's the idea of a good report. Look what he says here. Whatever things are of good report, meaning those things that builds one, that builds one up or those things that encourages. I've heard that some of our connect groups and some of our people are taking on as individuals who are just calling people and checking on them and offering them word of encouragement. Our staff has done some of this. And, and it's very interesting what we find is how appreciative most people are of the calls that are being made and the connections that are being made. I've had in the community strangers that I, I don't even know calling and and talking to me as a pastor and saying, thank you for helping our community during this time of crisis. I can't tell you what that means to me personally. They don't know me. They really don't know our church. But, but people are just seeking ways to be of, of good report, to be encouraging to others. This is a wonderful time to do that. Next, he turns our attention to a different type. He goes from the inward focus to the outward focus and now to the motivating focus. Look at what he says here in verse 8 again. He says, if there's anything of virtue, is there anything of virtue? Some, the idea of being excellent. It speaks of moral excellence that carries the idea of being motivated to do the right thing. During these times, have you been motivated to do the right thing? Has your attitude carried you in a different direction? Have you, have you been serving? 
And then he comes to this last thing. He says, if there's anything praiseworthy, it goes back to this idea of being an encouragement to others. It's to the idea of building up and not tearing down. You know, this would be an easy time to get negative, become cynical. And many times crises will carry our thoughts to those things. Well, I believe this is the time for us as Christians to be salt and light, for us not to fall into that trap, but to rise above that and, and be a, a source of encouragement and, and, and positivity for those around us. And then look how he closes this out. He says, meditate on these things. These things, this focus, meditate. Let this be your focus. It, it literally means let it become a part of you. It's not just something you do. It becomes a part of who you are. Because the reason it needs to be that way is because it's in the present tense here. It's literally the idea to continue to do these things. Continue to allow your mind to go there. Let these things be at the forefront of your mind. And he's basically saying, as we get ready to read in the next verse, that that will be the source of your peace. So as we close... Paul, it's very interesting what Paul does. Everything we've talked about here so far this morning has really been application. So what's the application of all this application? Well, he gives it to us in verse 9. He says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and then here it is, and the peace of God will be with you. The peace of God will be with you. As we close this sermon series, I want to ask you what I've asked you already several times during this series. What has this crisis revealed about your faith, your fortitude, and your peace? Do they only work or, only, or are they only realized when everything in your life goes right and everything you're comfortable and everything you can control? Or, or is that, are those realities in your life, that faith and that peace, are they there when your whole world's turned upside down? It's interesting that Jesus desires that to be true of you, that no matter what we face, that we realize that our anxiety, our worry, is not something He desires for us. He says, peace I leave with you. Max Lucado, I heard something this past week on Christian radio. He has this phrase, keep calm. And the word calm is literally acrostic. And here's what he says. He says, celebrate God. Ask God for help, leave the crisis to God, and meditate on the good things. That's a great summary of what we just discussed here this morning. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Take the time to discuss with those who are gathered with you this morning to discuss these very things. And, and be transparent. Be real. Let, let's quit being superficial. During a time of crisis, it's time to get real and also to keep calm. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you now and we just, uh, Lord, it's just uh, amazing to, to be able to communicate your word in, in the way that we're able to communicate through, through social media. And Father, I, I do. I, I miss the fact that we can't come together as a church. I miss not seeing faces and, and shaking hands and hugs each time we gather. But Father, I believe that through all this, you're still up to something in our lives. I think there's something that can be great that will come out of this. I think families can come to a greater understanding of who they are. And, and, and Lord, you desire to wipe away the superficial and help us to talk on a level that's genuine and transparent.
Father, I pray that to be true of the families. But Father, I also pray for our church family. I, I, Lord, I'm just so impressed with seeing connect groups, connect leaders, and leaders in our church, and, and those who are not necessarily leaders, just find ways, creative ways, ways to think outside the box to serve and encourage others. Father, help us to continue to be that, to be a light to this community. And Father, I pray for those who are affected by this crisis. I realize there's some that maybe, maybe they've lost time at work. Uh, maybe they've been laid off. Maybe they're affected by this. Maybe their own health is affected by this. Father, I just pray for them, Lord, that they can see that you're up to something, that there is something greater than these things, that we can take our, faith, our, our, faith, our focus away from those things that cause us this stress and anxiety and worry and put our faith in you that we will have peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the crisis. In Jesus' name, amen.